Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Call us a fast society, an efficient society, but don't call us a personal society. Our society is set up for isolation. We wear earbuds when we exercise. We communicate via email and text messages. Our mantra, I leave you alone, you leave me alone. Yet God wants his people to be an exception. Let everyone else go the way of computers and keyboards. God's children will be people of hospitality. Long before the church had pulpits and baptistries, she had kitchens and dinner tables. The believers met together in the temple every day. They ate together in their homes, happy to share their food with joyful hearts. Every day in the temple and in people's homes, they continued teaching the people and telling the good news that Jesus is the Christ. The primary gathering place of the church was in the home. Now, today we meet in the Archbishop's Corner, and we recall the words of Jesus that where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. For the early Christian community, the house was the primary gathering place the Eucharist was celebrated and where the gospel was shared. Today we meet in the Archbishop's Corner to celebrate God's Word and break open a new understanding of the gospel as we look to Archbishop Leonard Blair to open our hearts and minds to God's Word. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. And the country's getting ready to watch the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles compete in hopes of becoming the champion and taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Many people out there are mostly looking forward to the commercials. Do you have a team that you're rooting for? No, not this year. Not really. I don't know. I've watched some of those commercials sometimes. Uh, to me, I, I suppose occasionally there's one that's very uh, uh, that's very fetching, but... Uh, you know, I I don't know. Sometimes I, I don't think they're all that uh, spectacular. That's true. But so much money is put into these commercials. If, if we as church could put in that much money, not for a commercial, but in encouraging people to come back to church, huh? To well, haven't there been some? I think there have been some. Yeah, in, uh, in the past, we've done that. Yeah. yeah, some spiritual commercials. That's good. A good cause in order to motivate people with an inspiring message not to buy this product or that product, but to do something inspiring for their own lives and the lives of their family members, I think. Anyway. I'm all for that. Yes. Tomorrow is World Radio Day. It's a day to remember the unique power of radio to touch lives and bring people together across every corner of the world. World Radio Day celebrates the reason why we love radio and why we need it today more than ever. And here at WJMJ, we accept the challenge to inspire, to inform, to entertain, and bring joy and hope to the community through radio. Any thoughts as we celebrate World Radio Day tomorrow? No, just that communications are so important. And, of course, today we have the marvel of modern communications, but which it brings good things but also brings very bad things. You know, where the, the kind of things that are be, being communicated or the, the kind of way it takes over people's lives today uh, in, in almost an obsessive way and an isolating way, that's not very good. So like anything human, you know, we have to be vigilant. Uh, we can use things well, or we can use things badly, and we just have to try 
to have our moral uh, bearings and a spiritual life and a healthy life uh, with other people and in society and the family, and then those other things fit in. But sometimes uh, when things go badly uh, for people in those more important aspects of life, the modern communications can kind of be create real difficulties. Tuesday is Valentine's Day, and most people focus on the love and the romance of the holiday rather than the celebration of St. Valentine, the Christian martyr. St. Valentine is still recognized as a saint of the Roman Catholic Church, but he was removed from the general Roman calendar back in 1969 due to a lack of reliable information about him. Valentine's Day has taken on a much more secular meaning rather than celebrating the life of a saint. Does that concern you, Archbishop? Well, of course, everything uh, that that's religious that can be secularized obviously is not uh, something good. I mean, most of our traditions of the calendar, at least in uh, uh, Judeo-Christian society, uh, particularly Christian society, Catholic society, uh, you know, it's just like I read recently that uh, some major institutions in Great Britain are dropping Christmas and Easter from their holidays. They feel that, you know, it's not relevant to most people or many people and they have um, a pluralistic society today. You know, I think in Britain today, uh, uh, Christians now for the first time are, are not the majority of the population. I remember reading that somewhere recently. You have to realize uh, that things are slipping away from from their original uh, intended spiritual religious meaning. And those of us who are believers and who, for whom this is not just a, a secular thing, we have to make a, a special effort always to to keep our eyes fixed on what it really means and the importance of it. So, you know, St. Valentine, a martyr, someone who, out of love for God and neighbor, was willing to give up uh, his life. And I suppose uh, they're saying that he might be a saint that's more legendary than, than historical. I don't know. But uh, because some of the ancient traditions uh, like that have been questioned. Uh, but the important thing is uh, the the message of what Valentine was willing to do uh, out of love for God and neighbor, to bear witness to the truth of his faith, and that's what we're all called to do. In Thursday, February 16th, everyone knows a grouch, and some of us may even be guilty of being one. Thursday is a call to kindness in the name of a grouch. It's National Do a Grouch a Favor Day. You can do something to make a grouch's day better. For some, it's in their nature to be grouchy all the time, while others may just be having a rough day. So today we are called to do acts of kindness to those who are in need of it most. Yeah, I always got a big kick out of uh, the old uh, version of the Law & Order series. Adam Schiff, the prosecutor, you know, he was always (laughs) kind of crabby. And uh, I I always uh, was, uh, uh, I got a laugh out of that. I always think of that line, sometimes I quote it with people that I'm working with, where... uh, he just won a case, and Adam Schiff says, great job, take the rest of the week off. And, and Jack <laughs> McCoy says, but it's Friday. And, and Schiff says, see you Monday. That's the kind of grouchy kind of uh, you know uh, person that uh, he's portrayed as being. So sometimes it can be kind of uh, funny, but uh, in the end, uh, being grouchy all the time and in a crabby kind of way is not very good. Any advice for the grouch who really wants to change? Well, I mean, like anything in life, we all have to work at it, don't we? Whatever our temptations are, our characteristics that we know need improving, we just do our best and ask God's help. But the main thing is that we don't give in. This last week I was reading, uh, there's some daily meditations, extracts from the writings of C.S. Lewis, who was a wonderful writer. 
And uh, he talks about the fact that in our lives, we always have that area that wants to acclaim us, that that's part of our, we know of the way we should not be. And he says, we can never give in. We can never make peace with that and just say, well, that's the way I am and there's no use resisting. He says, we can't become, for those people who know their history, we can't become a, a Vichy government to ourselves. You know, in the Second World War, when the Nazis took over France, they let the South be ruled by a French government, but it was really a puppet government controlled by Germany. But it was called the Vichy government because that was their capital. And C.S. Lewis says, we can never become a Vichy government, you know, that really over ourselves, that that, that really kind of gives in and and tries to, to say that there's nothing to be done. And and I think that's true. We all yeah. have to, of course, you know, uh, we have uh, Lent uh, coming up. That's the time when we really need to take a good look. That's probably a good resolution on the part of any grouchy people. Allow Lent to make a positive difference in your attitude. Right. If you're grouchy and you know you are and you keep trying, don't give up. <laughs> right. Friday is National Caregivers Day. It's a day in honor of the people who dedicate their time to provide services to those requiring long-term or hospice care. It's a day to show appreciation for the quality, the compassionate care that they give every day. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the United States are providing unpaid care to others? That means we all, well, we all likely know someone who tends to loved ones or someone in need, huh? Well, certainly, you know, the longevity of people today uh, is uh, uh, a blessing and a challenge because people live uh, much longer than they did. But that also means that they need uh, care uh, later in life. And society, we, we do a lot of very good things in the United States to, to provide and care for the elderly. But of course, in the end, it doesn't absolve the, the family. Society can't do everything. It, it, it's all part of the family, you know. I mean, I lived in a family where my one grandmother lived to be 104, mm. and she lived with us until she died, until a week before she died. Wow. And my mother took responsibility for her from the time, imagine, that my grandmother became a widow in 1926 till she died in 1983. And today, of course, the pace of life and the way people live and the, the bonds that join us together are not what they were. And so this becomes a challenge, and I, I know there are many conscientious people who really do struggle to take care of their family members in need, and society, and, and including the church, we try to do our best to help. But this is, this is a, a meant to be a, not only an obligation, but a labor of love. And sometimes, I, I've also known people, and I'm sure you have too, who have, for example, a child with a disability yeah. uh, uh, of some kind, who wind up keeping that son or daughter in their care long into their life. Uh, and who just do, a, I mean, th- this is this is what holiness comes from, you know, this kind of uh, fidelity and, and love and care in situations like that. And you know, what, we live in a society where people want to live in, the, you know, this, this myth of uh, happiness from, uh, you know, material wealth and from uh, having no ties that bind and absolute freedom. And, well, that's all a myth, too, because there's not much happiness to be found in that in the end. Uh, it's a very empty, uh, dead-ended kind of, of life. So with God's help, we try to be faithful and do our best. What an example of love that is for a caregiver, a family member, to have a son, a daughter, a relative in the home that they constantly care for and that and needs them so much that their day-to-day, everyday chores or 
need to be assisted by this caregiver, huh? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think of people, too, who have a child with Down syndrome uh, and uh, as well as the elderly. And, you know, all of this effort about suicide being promoted in Connecticut, which is utterly tragic and misguided, uh, you know, to, to try to eliminate uh, people like that through uh, abortion and, and then at the end of life trying to send people off instead of dying a, a natural death in which they're supported by palliative care. They don't yeah. just suffer. But what a difference. You know, I was very pleased to see that the uh, this last few days the Alzheimer's Society uh, disavowed uh, any support for this effort to promote assisted suicide in Connecticut. You know, they're they're not there to to terminate these people. They're there to 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 help and to try to find ways, you know, to heal this or support these people who are in that situation. There's really a very impressive list of groups that uh, are opposed to assisted suicide in our state, and they're not just religious or ca- Catholic groups, but groups like the Alzheimer's group that that recognize this for what it is. I hope our listeners will step up and be counted to oppose these kinds of things. You know, assisted suicide, where it has taken place, it, it, it is the very definitely the slippery slope. I mean, there are places now uh, in Europe where uh, children can uh, request to be uh, to be killed, to commit suicide. And the, the, the rates of suicide in places where this is allowed goes up because if you, you know, if you don't uh, uh, respect life and if you say that it's not an absolute value, then why shouldn't I jump off the bridge or run in front of the train? You know, what, what if there's not a real absolute value? We always have had that, you know, where people would, would try to stop people from doing such things because life is good. You cannot, even if you're in a painful situation, we have to help and we have to seek help. But we don't have that right to take our own life. Uh, and certainly we don't have the right to take other people's lives because we judge that they, they shouldn't be cared for or can't be cared for uh, properly That under the excuse that they're suffering. Like I say, suffering has other remedies in today's medical world, today's uh, helping world uh, for people. But anyway, you've got me going here about this question, but I, I do think that uh, this is all something that we as believing people have to take very seriously and stand up to be counted. Well, when does life lose its value? Never. Right, right. Because it's eternal life. What does St. Paul say? Life is changed, not ended. You know, not to be uh, on, a, on a roll here, but I know I just saw in the paper that our, uh, our legislature is considering this uh, composting uh, bill that uh, people should be allowed to turn themselves into compost rather than being buried. And, you know, if you want to know a, a, a believing Catholic position on it, it would be contrary to that. Because composting means that after a month or so, there is absolutely nothing left in the body. Absolutely nothing. That, that's my understanding. That you really just turn yourself into compost in the ground. Our belief in the resurrection of the body, you know, and, and I even think of through, through history, great society civilizations have always had a great solicitude and care for how, for the dead, how they treated the dead. Pagans did. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not just a relig- religious in the sense of Judeo-Christian or Muslim or, or whatever, but people who had this regard for their ancestors and for this uh, connectedness. And now to say that in the name of ecology, we're simply going to turn ourselves into compost mm. so that there's no trace of that we ever existed 
I mean, this this is just uh, certainly it's not uh, Christian. It's not. I don't believe it's Christian, but it's certainly not Catholic. And I don't say the people who are proposing this are bad intentioned. I mean, it's part of the way uh, people think today, uh, many people. But uh, for those of us who are believers who believe in the resurrection of the body, uh, then I think we need to we need to take exception to this. Well, Archbishop, let's take a look at our gospel reading on this sixth Sunday in ordinary time, the twelfth of February. Today's gospel lesson is taken from Matthew, the fifth chapter. And after the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you and ask for your thoughts. Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, you have heard that it was said to the men of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Archbishop, what are your thoughts as you hear this gospel account by Matthew? Well, I think it's interesting. You know, Jesus says that he's not come to take away uh, the, the law. He says not even the smallest part of a letter but he's, to ful- he's here to fulfill the commandments. And I think that he gives us examples of this, that to fulfill the law against killing the innocent means that even being angry with your neighbor, you're liable to judgment. In other words, it goes beyond. There's, there is, um, really, Christ is here to bring us the radical demands of the, of the law, the radical demands of the gospel. You know, he talks about uh, reconciliation, going to the altar to be reconciled before you offer your gift at the altar, and about adultery. He says even just looking with lust at someone is already committing adultery. Mm. And then he says if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Wow. You know, I mean, the seriousness of sin, uh, this is extremely important. And if I may say so, in the context of what's going on in the church today— I think there's some temptation on the part of some circles to think that Pope Francis's call to try to ex- reach out to the peripheries of society uh, with an invitation uh, is being uh, misunderstood or, or distorted because, uh, as one of the bishops, I think it was Bishop Barron, pointed out quite rightly, uh, Jesus uh, invited people to himself with the message of today's gospel. And he didn't say, welcome. He said, Repent. Yeah. Now, that doesn't exclude welcome, because we know that Jesus did welcome 
tax collectors and sinners, to quote the, the scriptures. But the message was always uh, to repent. So it's not just embracing everybody's lifestyle, not just uh, embracing uh, everything that people uh, claim they want to do that is right, contrary uh, to the constant uh, moral teaching of, of the Bible and of the church th- through the ages. But it's finding the right way uh, not to uh, sh- slam the door on people or not to shut them out, but also to be true to th- to the teaching. And so uh, Christ, uh, you know, here is speaking about uh, the radical, what I would call the radical demands of, of the gospel. You know, another one, you know, he says, uh, and this one, of course, it fits very well to what I'm just saying because Jesus makes it very clear. He says, uh, it was said, whoever was divorces his wife must give her a bill of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is a hard saying, especially in our society today, where divorce is so common, common yeah, uh, yeah. so so much a part of the way of life, and we have to struggle with this with people who are who are in difficult situations. I think we have to make a lot of distinctions too. You know, there's a difference between uh, a man who runs off with his girlfriend and divorces his wife uh, from the fact of the wife who's been divorced in that situation. You know, they're very different moral uh, situations about what divorce means uh, to them and for them. But the bottom line is that. Um, this is these radical sayings of Jesus are not just some kind of uh, thing to be put aside, and our Catholic faith, as it's taught in the Catechism, has always upheld these these things. So yes, we have to find a way where these things are so prevalent in society today, uh, to not just slam the door on people, but we also have to challenge themselves. I mean, challenge them as we challenge ourselves with the truth of the of the faith, and we we can't we can't do away with that. Well, this doesn't. You've really got me going today. Uh, <laughs> really, Father. this doesn't seem to be the warm, caring Jesus we expect. This is the Jesus who is is calling us to task and asking for our fidelity in matters of moral concern. But it is the warm uh, Jesus. It is the gentle Jesus uh, who is meek of heart, because it's not the Jesus who condemns. That's true, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, Jesus did not just get up there and condemn people. What he did, it says the ate with tax collectors and sinners. But what did he do? He went among them to reach out to them, to invite them, to call them, and to repent, uh, to repentance. And, and we see in the New Testament the intimations of how many lives were changed by their encounter with Jesus. But they were changed. You know, a Mary Magdalene, uh, for example, was changed. And that is what we have to, we have to strive for. You know, church is not just a place to have a get-together and we're all sociable to one another. Coffee and donuts. Yeah, that's not excluded. God knows that's not excluded, the fellowship. But that's not ultimately what why the church is there. The church is there for us together to recognize that we are all sinners, we are all in need of repentance, and to help one another to live the truth of the gospel. And when people fail, that we support one another uh, to, to get, get up and keep walking and to stri- strive again. But it is not simply a blessing of the status quo that, you know, I'm okay, you're okay kind of thing. That's, we're not okay. Uh, Jesus called to came, called sinners. And so we have to strive uh, together to repent and believe. That is the message of the, that Jesus had, repent and believe. Let's look at some of the questions submitted by our listeners. For instance, Doug from Cornwall says, 
I heard that the sacrament of penance in the Roman Rite will be receiving some changes in its English translation starting on Ash Wednesday. These changes were approved by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops and are part of an ongoing effort to make sure that liturgical texts translated from Latin are correct. There are worries that penitents may be concerned if the old form of absolution is used by priests. Will this update be for the better? Well, let me put your fears at rest. The two, you know, there's a whole uh, formula of absolution that the priest uses. Two little words were changed, but the formula, the actual absolution, has not changed at all. Uh, and that is, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is this, the formula, you know, for, for the, but the whole little prayer in which that's ins- uh, uh, inserted, there were a couple little minor, minor changes. I think it's, may God grant you pardon and peace instead of give you pardon and peace. And there's one other little one. But, but the formula for absolution, whether the, has not changed. The actual, I shouldn't say that, but the actual words that are for validity, for the conferral of the sacrament of penance, remain unchanged. Amy from Norfolk says, Pro-life leaders in Washington have called on Congress to make childbirth free for mothers, stating that addressing the financial burden will reduce abortion rates. They say that federal funding of all baby deliveries and related costs would help American women, their babies, and their families while reducing abortion rates, and they hope to convince lawmakers from both sides of the aisle to join their cause. Is free childbirth the next step for the pro-life movement? I have no idea. I don't know enough about this, uh, this uh, proposal to, to make any uh, uh, intelligent comment about it. So I don't know about this proposal, so I, I wouldn't be able to say much about it at this point. Charlie from Ansonia says, What is a healing Mass, and what norms direct its celebration? Well, healing, of course, in, in the Bible, in the Scriptures, New Testament, is very important. Jesus uh, brought healing. The apostles uh, uh, brought healing to people. Of course, it's not just healing a body, but the healing of, of the soul, the forgiveness of sins. But um, we have the sacrament of the sick, the anointing, which is a, a sacrament instituted by Christ that is conferred by a priest. And it's not just last rites. You know, it's not just uh, for when a person is in extremis, but it is for healing. There are healing masses that, well, I mean, I've that's a loose term, I think, for a mass where this sacrament may be conferred on those who are seriously ill or facing surgery or something like that. There's also healing prayers where people pray for, for healing for one another, which is not sacramental uh, because the sacrament can only be conferred by a priest, but the uh, where people pray for healing, and that is perfectly legitimate. We should invoke uh, the name of Jesus t- to bring healing to, to people who are sick. And I think we can fit in one last question. Archbishop Rene from East Granby says, There are always a good amount of people who leave Mass before the final blessing. Every week when my family witnesses this, my son asks me, Does Mass count if you leave early? Is it necessary for the faithful to receive the final blessing to fulfill the Sunday Mass obligation? Well, of course, it saddens my heart to even hear that word, obligation, because what that means is that people sometimes look upon this only as an obligation and they want to do the minimum. I think, quite honestly, part of it is just our American parking lot impulse. Mm. You know, people leave the concert and the the baseball game uh, quick, too, because they want to beat the parking lot. I would hope that churches uh, a little more 
especially today when, you know, it's not exactly like thousands of people are parked in the lot at Mass um, because uh, attendance, uh, sadly, is not what it should be. Am I going to say that have they fulfilled their obligation? Well, why don't why don't you ask Jesus that? I wanted to run out as quickly as I could from either mass, yeah, yeah. but is that okay with you? Um, I, and I don't mean to be cynical when I say that. I, maybe I'm being that way. I don't know. But um, I, I would hope that people, not just about the mass, but I would hope. I think that's a big gap we have that people don't even want to talk to one another. I mean, it seems to me that after you've been to mass, you might want to have a, a little conversation with your fellow parishioners or your neighbor. Uh, those parishes that have coffee and donuts, that helps at least for some people. They'll, they'll stay. What can I, what can I say? Uh, you know, it, it, uh, I would hope that people would be on time for Mass for one thing, and they would stay till, till it's done. Archbishop, uh, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord God, you have told us that you are the one who makes our burden light, uh, that uh, in this life, in our weakness, we are constantly in need of forgiveness and always striving for conversion. And we pray that we may be keenly aware of our own weaknesses when we are tempted to point to the faults of others. And we pray that the radical demands of the gospel which you make of us, we will not lose heart, but will understand that left to ourselves, we cannot fulfill these radical demands. But by your grace and goodness, we can, provided that we strive with all our hearts and, are, and persevere in doing so. So we ask you, Lord, for your blessing on each and every one of us, on our state of Connecticut, on our country, and our world. And we especially ask that you grant peace in Ukraine uh, against the aggression that is being perpetrated there. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. It's been a pleasure being with you, and uh, we hope to rejoin you again next week. Thank you. 